0: This is something that is omnipresent in every interaction. You've got to communicate, you've got to translate oftentimes technical esoteric things into things that others can understand. And you've got to influence those around you. The days of the CISO that go and, and just pound the table and say, no, 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 are over, in my opinion. You really can't operate that way. You've got to be a good partner and you've got to learn how to influence folks.
1: From Exabeam, this is the new CISO, a show about the people who lead IT security teams, the challenges they face and how they overcome them. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to hear our new episodes first. I'm Steve Moore, and today I speak with Artie Wilkowski, CISO at Dish Network, about why he thinks a broader understanding of security could be more beneficial than specialization early on in your career. We also talk about the value of empowering your team throughout any decision-making process you might have. As a CISO, it can be easy to hoard the responsibility of making decisions, but cultivating diversity of thought is the greatest indicator of trust in your team. Okay, Artie, uh, if you would please, for those that don't know you, Please introduce yourself. Surely. Artie
0: Wolkowski, I'm the Chief Information Security Officer for Dish Network. That includes really all of our lines of business, including our traditional DBS business, our Sling product, which is our over-the-top streaming service, OnTech, which is our um, in-home installation capability, as well as Wireless, our new venture, and, and really the future of our company.
1: Fantastic. You, you haven't always been at DISH though. What'd you do before that? A
0: little bit of everything. Uh, you're right. I've been at DISH about two and a half years. Prior to that, I consulted for about three years. I was with PwC. Prior to that, I worked in financial services at, at First Data. I've also been in aerospace and and consulted quite a bit. So really I started consulting on and off in in the, in the late nineties. And, uh, and have sort of bounced back and forth between consulting and industry since then.
1: So we had a prior conversation, and one of the things we spent some time on was sort of this, this mentorship topic. And actually, you are probably spend more time on it than I do with most folks because you had so much to share about it, both mentoring and kind of what you look for in staff. If you would, you know, related to consulting and all the, the jobs that you've had, what advice would you have given your younger self as it relates to all those different things that you did?
0: Yeah, um, there is a lot to unpack there. I would say first and foremost, not to worry so much about specializing right away. Right, I think, I think I see a lot of young people, and they're 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 very, and it's great to be excited about a certain part or domain of security or something like that, but really people want to go you know a mile deep right away in a particular area and i think what really helps sometimes is to get a broader wider understanding of all of security all the different domains and then at that point you can decide if you want to specialize right but i think that foundation is key understanding how different different things impact each other you know really spending time with regulatory Issues, legal issues, uh, compliance before you get super technical, right? But just the same, you know, if you're going to, you're going to think about vulnerabilities and be able to translate things like that into business risk, it helps to have a background in ports and protocols and, and things like that as well. So I think, I think a wide, broad understanding of security is a good way to start. And then from there, by all means, specialize. But I think the more that you, Progress in security, the more you end up being a generalist anyway, right? So it's good if you can start there. Doesn't mean you need to stay a generalist your entire career. It doesn't hurt, but if you want to specialize, that's great. But I think as you, you know, if you aspire to be a security leader, a lot of times you're gonna you're gonna need to have those uh, that that kind of broad, holistic understanding of security.
1: How do we sort of manage the demand for the specialists? Because I think people get excited or they find a passion and a niche, especially the the younger self that you mentioned. But yet when there's so much to manage, right? I was talking to a CISO a couple of weeks back, and he's like, look, we we're sort of saddled with doing too much. Like we own security as becoming bigger and bigger and bigger, meaning not in terms of gravity, but just in the, the space that you must cover. And so you're going to end up with specialists within that. How do you balance that between there's a demand, You know, even look at the way we write our job racks versus, they're very pointed, versus the, the growth of an individual you're saying as you grow and, and you get maybe further along in your career, you become more of a gen- generalist. Is there a balance to that? Is there would you suggest that a younger person or someone newer in their career just jump to lots of different jobs is is that the answer within security and within IT or what's what's the what's the path that you recommend i don't necessarily think
0: you need to job hop a lot i mean you see a lot of it in security uh, but that's not the really not the preferred way i don't think anymore i mean i think a lot of a lot of employers don't aren't surprised when they look at a candidate that's moved around a lot but really um I think they 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 value people that will stick around, and I think it's kind of a a relationship between you know the individual and their manager or or and me, right? So what I really value is you know someone that can be a generalist that can pinch hit in different areas. so if I hire someone to be a a pen tester, let's say, and that might not be the best example because that's such a you know that that's such a deep thing, but we'll we'll go with that for now. If I hire a pen tester, I think it's going to help them if they if they can sort of reach across the aisle and and understand GRC a little bit and understand sure compliance drivers and stuff like that, right? So I will oftentimes encourage people to to go to others in the in the organization do some shadowing and things like that so that they can round themselves out a little bit. That's typically how I've done it. I've also always encouraged people to, to move roles within security or even within IT because I think, I think that really gives you perspective
1: that you wouldn't have otherwise. So I think you hit on something there. I believe that for somebody who's interested in information security, the worst part, the worst place to start is an in information security. I'm, I believe, and I, and I could be wrong, probably not wrong, but I could be wrong, that you should start outside of InfoSec, meaning you should be a developer, you should be an engineer, you should be some sort of analyst, because it's, it's important, I think, to know how to build things before you figure out how to protect them. That's my opinion. What, what are your thoughts on that? I think you hit it spot on. Look, I, I
0: see a lot of people now that that target security, and that's fine. I, it's not that I won't hire someone uh, that wants to start off there, but if you have a foundation somewhere else, I think it's, it's key. Personally, what I did years ago is I started off as a, as a network administrator. Um, so I got an understanding of IP and ports and protocols and how to make things work together, stuff like that. I learned how to troubleshoot and problem solve a lot during that. And it's, it's only helped me as I've moved into security. It's not the only way, as you said, development. You know, We see a lot of people that learn how to code. And I think that's fantastic. It's something I never really did. But I, encouraging my kids now to do that and to really understand that. I think that's the kind of thing that no matter what you go into, having that kind of background in, in, in coding and development is, is, is key, even if you don't go into security. But if you do, it's great. So yeah, I'm with you there. That said, though, I want to go back. There are plenty of young people that are they're coming straight out of school, and they may even have a master's in information security. And if that's the case, surely they want to start in security, and I'm, I'm all about that. Sure. But there is a, there's a little bit of a path and, and maybe a little bit more of a learning curve if you don't have a, a foundation somewhere else.
1: Yeah. I just found that, I mean, everything, everyone's different. and. For me personally, and the people I've helped, maybe coach or mentor maybe, it's so much easier to work on a security problem if you've had to work on the IT problem that goes with it. I don't, I'm not saying you have to spend an entire career in that, but I think that it, is, it allows you relevance when, when meeting with those teams in order to get things done. Often those IT teams are the same ones that will help you deploy or implement change. So if, if they know that you've done that work, and the other thing I, I'll, I'll say is if you want to supercharge a team, it's my take that the best mix is about half security people and half IT people. So have an exchange administrator, have a domain administrator, have a, maybe a former DBA or somebody who's done programming or is interested in automation and mix those two together and give them a security mission, if, providing they're interested in it and you can do some really amazing things. And so if, if they're ready to make that change, it's a lot of fun to watch. So now those people become security people, but they have a the backdrop of that. So they may have spent, you know, 4 5 10 years on that other side and so I love this topic, uh, kind of what's the right mix to each each leader it's different.
0: Yeah, I agree. I look, I think it's a great recruiting tool too, right? So I love I love these cross-functional tiger teams and working groups that go and figure out problems because a lot of times the, the, the folks that are not in security may have a natural interest Mm -hmm. and they get exposure to some of the people on the team and, and some of the way that we will do things. And, and a lot of times we end up, you know, having a, creating some sort of path for those individuals to where they can actually come into security. And we've had people that, that have, uh, you know found something somewhere else in IT in IT operations perhaps or uh, project management or something like that and pivoted over there from security so it goes both ways but i agree i think you know it's kind of the you know we're always talking about diversity and i think diversity of thought and having people from from different parts of the organization that think about things a little bit differently and have maybe different priorities working together you're going to get a better product that way and a lot of times a, you know, a, a quicker resolution versus if you just take five security people and put them in the work room and let them figure it out.
1: I am all for that. You know, I'll give you one quick example, and, and I'm, I'm sure you have a story to go along with it. I often argue that IT in general has figured out and have, has had to make use of automation well before security has, right? Everyone in security is talking about SOAR and automation. Those are very important things. Uh, and in fact, I believe in them so much that I think security could learn a lot from IT uh, because they've already sort of figured this out in many ways, whether it's code review, whether it's you know, software deployment, environment management, you know, whatever, take your pick, whatever the area is. And security has gotten away with, in many ways, doing things manually or too manually, right? And so this, even this mindset of, hey, wait a minute, uh, let's just automate all of this, uh, let's automate some of this. Let's automate what we understand and try to try to cut back. That's, I think, the low-hanging fruit. Difficult topic, but low-hanging fruit where you when you have that mixture uh, that I'm starting to see. And I don't. know, I'm curious to your thoughts on that. It has has only asked it in the form of a question. Has IT had automation uh, figured out before security in general, from from your perspective? Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, I
0: I. I have a healthy respect for those in IT, especially uh, IT ops as an example, because not only did I start there, I I see the the pressures that they endure in terms of, you know, do more with less and everything like that. Meanwhile, security is the topic de jour and we get a lot of funding and we get a lot of attention and, and everyone wants to come work in security. So... So we've really had this embarrassment of riches, right? Where we, we haven't really had to get creative and automate as much, whereas, whereas IT is forced to because they may not get the, the funding or the resources that they need, right? So they have to, they have to take, not shortcuts, but, but figure out ways to accelerate what it is that they're doing. And
1: automation is really the way to do
0: that, right? So...
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the greatest innovators in IT that I've seen were network and system admins that were poor, meaning they had no budgets. they had to figure out a way to do it without a tool. They had to write their own code. They had to figure out a way to automate this because they didn't have enough people, didn't have enough resources. And to me, it was, it's kind of fun to watch. I want to go, I want to go back to that, something you hit on in a little bit, but before we go there, you outlined kind of a section of thought on the type of people that you go for as a hiring manager. And you also talked about the skills that you develop and the ones that you know how to ditch as you move up. So starting with that, you, can you share just a little bit about as you move up, you said, you know, all good CISOs, the good ones are generalists. And I asked you, you know, how do you know what to develop and how do you know what to ditch? And you talked a little bit about that. What What's your perspective on that? What do you develop and what do you ditch? Yeah, so I,
0: I think you always have to hone influence, uh, you know, communication skills and things like that. This is something that, that is omnipresent in every interaction, right? You've got to, you've got to communicate. You've got to translate uh, oftentimes technical esoteric things into Things that others can understand, and you've got to influence those around you. You know the days of a of a CISO that that go and and just pound the table and say no, no, no are over. In my opinion, you really can't operate that way. You've got to be a good partner, and you've got to got to learn how to influence folks, right? So, so those are the those are the the key things for me. Is 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 really being able to do that stuff, and in terms of things that you Things that you ditch, right? I think, I think everything in your background helps and is, is always there, but there are probably certain things like, you know, that, that, that classic conundrum of people, technical people that, that climb the ladder and then they're in management and they get overwhelmed because they're used to doing everything on their own, as an example. Right. Um, You know, those are things that, that people have to learn to, To get over, they have to learn to delegate. They have to learn to trust those around them. They have to learn that sometimes the best path is not to do it yourself because because it's quicker, but rather to let someone else do it and get the experience, and then and then go and 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 teach them a little bit about okay, this is you got us eighty five percent of the way there. Now here's the last fifteen percent, and here's how we're going to refine it. Right. So so I think. I think those are those are some of the things. I also think just probably abrasiveness, maybe not the right term, but <laughs> you know, cynicism, abrasiveness, things like that. I mean, those are things that 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 don't go very far in, in today's world. Security is no longer the office of no. You can't just lock someone in a room somewhere and and expect them to add a lot of value. I expect everyone to to be consultative in InfoSec. I expect everyone to be able to build relationships and influence others and and learn. And I'd say that's the other thing. You know, a, a lot of people love to talk. I think we all do to an extent. But I like to listen first and and try to understand what a problem is before I go in and try to solve something, right? And so, I, I think a lot of times we tend to jump the gun and. You're a much better partner if you, if you actually listen to what those around you are
1: talking about. So you hit on a lot there. One of my favorites, I think, of what you mentioned, probably the concept of delegation. I, I see If I see a manager, director, even some VPs I've worked with that were terrible at delegation, awful, and they would become overwhelmed, as you noted. I think the reason why is also something you mentioned is they don't trust someone else. And it's not like they don't, it's not like they distrust someone else. It's just they're comfortable with the outcome that they complete and they're not willing to put that in there. And I think that when you're in a situation, when you're in leadership, you have to delegate and you have to trust even if you can do the job better, because you have to give up whatever that is in order to focus on being a great leader. And you need to, the biggest gap there is you're, you're secretly telling the staff, if you still are managing the firewall, let's say that you don't trust them. And, and that lurks in the minds of everyone when you need to be sort of a, an advocate for the team and a leader instead. Uh, I see that all the time. And so I'm glad you brought that up in that way. I, I like that. And then. The other thing you mentioned is cynicism. There's a lot of snark that we have uh, in our language, in our chats, in our emails, and I see a lot of younger guys, in particular, in the field that maintain that. That's a fun one to uncover during e-discovery. If anybody reads your emails after the fact, an email you sent four years ago that contains some snarky stuff gets bubbled up by one of your, you know, one of your staffers. That's a great one. That's a fun one.
0: Yep. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, going back to the the delegation thing in particular, you, when, when you were mentioning that, I thought of a couple of things. When you don't delegate, you really stifle those around you and those that are looking for a career path. They, don't, they, don't, they may not stick around as long, right? Because they don't, they don't really get to learn. They don't get to grow. They don't get to do new things because their manager doesn't delegate anything to them. So they feel like they stagnate a little bit. The other thing is when you don't give people the authority to make decisions, then they're afraid to make any decision, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and so, and so, so then, then it gets frustrating as a, as, a, as a leader because you feel like people are coming to you all the time for these, these menial small decisions. And, and it, a lot of times can be a, a byproduct of the fact that you have not extended authority to them and, and, and talked about, hey, I'm... You know, I trust you, uh, this is your call. You may make some mistakes, and that's okay. You know, And I think the big thing is is for people to understand that, hey, if something's likely going to get to me because there's going to be some sort of escalation because someone's not happy, just give me a heads up, right? Or if you think you messed up, come talk to me, and I think it's, you know, I'm fine. I, I actually admire people that acknowledge mistakes or, or are introspective enough to be able to say, I didn't handle that too well. I can get
1: better, right? right. So I've, yeah, I think there's a lot there. Well, I'll add one more to the authority piece. I've, yeah, I think there's an, an additional bit of coaching you have to do, not just with the individual that you delegate authority to, but also sometimes with everyone else in the room. And I can think of many examples where I had to go in. I didn't have the luxury of being in, a, in all these meetings that I had to be a part of, and many of them were quite important. It was a unique situation, but the story I'll tell is I had to go into the room at the beginning of the meeting for the first four or five minutes and say, hey, everybody, thanks for being here. I just want you to know that whatever the decision that's made by this lady on my team, it's as if I'm saying it and it's as if I'm in the room. So don't, don't check with me after. The, yeah. the decision made in the room by this young lady is as if the words came from my mouth. Now, collaborate, work. So please don't. And I had to do that many times. Not just with her, but several others, and I I didn't start off doing that. So what would happen is I delegate, and then I'd have somebody kind of go over their shoulder. You know, one of the other rep- somebody from the group would come to me and double check. And so I I figured out I'm like, wait a minute, I need to set this tone very clearly. I screwed that up, and that's why I'm sharing it now. So I had to go in and, and lead in. And then after a while, it was cool. But I had to set that tone. It's like, look, if there's someone here as my representative, it's as if that then that says, hey, I trust this person completely. I'm willing to, to, to own the the success and failure, but it's as if I'm saying it. Yeah. And I think further, you know, kind of zeroing in
0: on that, look, we're, we're in this, we're in this meeting culture, right? Every, everyone I talk to, no matter where they're at says, wow, we have so many meetings and in every meeting, everyone gets invited. And so a lot of times I end up in a meeting with other folks on my team and then people elsewhere. And, it's, it's really easy for me to dominate the meeting and make all the decisions. And it's not easy to make the decisions, but you know, it's, um, it's something that, that, that I have an opportunity to do. But I, I feel like you know, I, whenever that happens, I walk out of there thinking, you know what, I really should have been quiet and, and given others an opportunity to really speak up, right? Yeah. So whether I'm there or not, I want, I want to show that trust and I want to show that, that, that delegation and that, that, that authority that others can have. And then you know, things work better for them and they grow because of that.
1: I think that's something that maybe could be on our collective to-do lists for the week if, if we can afford the time to, to add something, is just what have we delegated and how did we delegate it this week? You know, what, what did we give the opportunity? Did we give an opportunity to someone else? And I meant to mention this earlier. So we do a state of the SOC report, which is a, a, a report asking the opinions and thoughts and feelings of SOC analysts and their management and even CISOs. And the main thing that we uncover is kind of the biggest issue for SOC analysts is they feel like there's no career path, no career plan, no one's help. no one's sort of helping with that. And, and you kind of answered some of this earlier. And I hadn't thought about it until now. And it's that maybe one of the actions a leader can take is think about how well you're delegating special projects or authority or both. It seems to be a, a really big issue for us as I'll call it as an industry or as a, as a, at least in the SOC analyst job class. So I don't know if you have any, any thoughts on that or that my, my sort of newfound connection there. Does it surprise you, or is it is that is it shocking, or is it? Do you think that's um, to be expected? No, I. It doesn't surprise me to hear that at all. I think I think a lot of
0: people are guilty of looking at someone and saying they're really good in that role. So I just want them to do more and more and more of that, mm-hmm. right? Without without really mentoring and finding out what they want to do, and are are there other things that they can go and and do? Or is there a career path, either a, a standard one that's provided to everyone or a customized one that, that we extend just to that individual based on their strengths, right? And weaknesses probably. But, you know, is there, is there something that we can do to, to, to get this person to grow, right? Because I've been in jobs in the past where I I've, I've felt like I, I had pretty much figured out everything about that job and I was really effective at it. And then I sort of sat there and sat there and sat there and eventually got frustrated and I I I left and I went and worked somewhere else. Right. And so I, I think that's what we what we're risking. And you know, if we look at CISOs, everyone talks about skill shortage, not enough resources, things like that. Well it's really bad if you have someone and they they stay in the same role. They get frustrated and they leave because it's a small community and work gets around, right? So it's it's not just that you may have lost that individual. You may not even get an opportunity to ever hire others because you get a reputation, the, a place gets a reputation for letting people stagnate and not really
1: not really investing in the individual. Right. What position do you think in terms of career stagnation, how much of it is owned by the employee and how much of that is owned by the leader? If you were to give a percentage of ownership, if it were equal 50-50, but is it, is it, is it equally owned or is it more on the shoulders of the leader or who owns that problem? I think they both own it. And I'm not, I'm not really sure of the, I,
0: I'm torn a little bit because I, I feel like every leader should be having these specific discussions with, with people, not even people that report to them, but others in the, in the organization right? I think everyone ought to, ought to be committed to, to growing and, and mentoring people. But I also feel like you've got to be your own career advocate. I mean, you, you, are, you are the best person to advocate for yourself always, right? And, and, and there's an art to that, right? You don't, yep. you don't want to brag and you don't, you don't want to beat people over the head with things. But, but at the end of the day, I always counsel people, if you want something, you've got to make it known. And if you never say anything, no one, no one else, you know, no one else may ever know, or they may not be thinking about it in that one moment. Someone that I really look up to once say, you know, you really can't control opportunity, right? You, you you just don't know when it's going to happen. And a lot of times things, things, things happen and move very quickly. And if, if people don't advocate for themselves, they may never get that, that one opportunity that sets their career off on a, on a, on a totally different trajectory, right? So so I do feel like it's shared. And I, I encourage all 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 leaders to mentor people and to to help people and to help give them a path. But but if you're a, a security professional, IT professional, really anyone, doesn't matter. You ought to be advocating for yourself and making it known when you see something that that you want to do.
1: I take that position. I've kind of, you know, I had very few people in my career that I felt like really gave a damn about my career, uh, other than me. And there were people out there that were, you know, I I maybe had one advocate, maybe one mentor. Uh, I had some cool bosses and had some really bad ones, but very it, it always came down to to me. It felt like, and and I'm okay with that. I had friends who were arguably better at their job than I was comparatively, but they didn't do as good of a job, kind of highlighting their success. You know, I always had a list of notables, which is different than your resume of things that I thought would be relevant for the leader to reuse whoever I reported to and sort of justification for raises and all the fancy things that young men want to go after, you know, title and whatnot. And it worked pretty well. And I, I got to the point where I was helping my friends get like out of band raises and promotions just by sitting down with them and as their peer and talking with them about what their notables were and kind of these, and, and it always worked. And I, I guess the question I have for you is why are we not taught how to do this? We go to university, we go to all these business, you know, we, we have, we have these, these classes we take both before and after our, our university days. Why aren't we better advocates for ourselves or why aren't leaders pushing people to do this? Is it just, we're busy, we're immature? What, what, do you have a take on that?
0: Yeah, I, where my head goes is I think, I think a lot of it is personality type. And some people are more uh, quiet and analytical and less likely to, mm. to talk about themselves. And I, I look back uh, from, cause I, I tend toward that. I'm, I'm very analytical and I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm quiet. I wouldn't say I'm necessarily introverted all the time, but, I always look back and think, you know, there there was probably an opportunity there for me to to say something that I didn't say. Right. And I, I so I think I think sometimes there are people that, that just tend toward that. And I think they've also been around others who they, they feel like are shameless self-promoters. <laughs> right. And it's really been kind of off-putting. Right. And so I think that's part of it. It's but I, I love your question. Why aren't we why aren't we teaching people some of these life hacks or, or career hacks or skills in, in school or elsewhere to where they, they do know ways to go and justify things that they, you know, ask that they have or things that they want,
1: right? So it's a, it's a really good call out. I always tried, you know, when I, especially when I was leading, you know, the biggest of teams, it was a year round effort to get credit for the staff meaning I didn't just work on it during review season my goal was to get raises and promotions as many as I could providing they were they were earned out of band which some organizations that can never happen just the machine doesn't allow it but that was my goal so it was then but you I spent time individually with everyone figuring out okay here's how you can differentiate yourself and this is our goal. And this is what I would suggest. And, uh, you know, and it worked pretty well. It, it's, it's worked in several environments. And I don't know how I got that there. I, I just sort of happened there. I didn't read it in a book or didn't have some sort of divine inspiration to do it. It just seemed like the right thing to do. You mentioned to me in our last conversation that you look to hire certain types of people and i really liked it and i don't know if this list just came off the top of your head or if it's sort of programmed in there and you've built it and you're going to be able to recite it now i wrote it down cuz it was that good i want to see now if you could remember there were four things you go for let's see how many of those you can recall today cuz they were really good what what are your when you go to hire somebody what are you looking for sure and i think this is a little bit programmed i mean i've said it
0: before variations <laughs> of it right but good good but i look for curiosity. I look for people that ask why, uh, that are naturally curious about things and want to go and, and, and learn different things, right? I look for people that can solve problems. It doesn't mean that they have to have worked on a help desk or, or, or been a tech or something like that, but it's just that sort of built-in problem-solving process, right? Which that's something I feel like you can there there aren't a lot of things that you can always gauge in an interview, but but I think problem solving and having someone take you through the thought process, that's something that you can figure out pretty easily in an interview. So, So that's a big one. And then after that, it's communication skills, which I touched on a little bit earlier, right? Verbal and written, right? So I think people need to be able to articulate things. People need to be able to express themselves in written form. You know, there's so many people that 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 struggle to write. And so much now is done with chat and with email and other things like that, especially in in the age of COVID, where we're, we we may not we may not be in face-to-face meetings as much. So so we may be doing things like this more. I think the ability to express yourself, you know, economy of words, being able to get your thought across And 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 then move on. Those are those are really big things. And those are the really the core skills I look for in in somebody. I can I feel like I can teach someone security, but those core skills are things that maybe you hone and refine over over time, but a lot of times it's something that someone has or they don't, right? And so so
1: that's really what I try to identify. Communication is something that I've found at all levels. I've struggled with it in many forms, but that is the one thing I, th- I bet we worked on that the most. If I'm looking across the the teams I've had managed in the past, both written and verbal and the ones who struggle the most with it are the ones we had some folks who didn't go to, you know, traditional university. They, they went to, um, uh, maybe, a better source of lessons. They were in the service, right? So they, they may not have gone up to a traditional two or four year, but in general, everybody needed to work on that. And uh, even if they could write well, uh, they often, myself included, the economy of words. I love that phrase. Uh, the concept of, you know, I'm sending an email or I'm going to articulate, I'm going to share an idea. Is it three paragraphs or could it be three sentences? Um, and, and speaking, most of the, the, the skills we see, we would drill on that over and over and over and over. We had three decks we'd produce, who we are, what we do, and where we're going. And my goal was to get as many people as I could to be able to present those ideas cl- cleanly. And it was hundreds of, of reviews, uh, both on the content and, and that. But, it, but we had then people who could really represent our program very strongly. I like this list. What's an example? You look for problem solving. I'm gonna tap you on this one. What is what's an example of a good problem solving interview question? Do you have one?
0: Let me think. Off the top of my head, I would say, yeah, you know, it really depends, I guess, on the what someone what you're interviewing someone for. Sure. But you know, let's say that let's say that I had somebody that was going to be in kind of a operations role for security. Maybe they were going to be a an administrator of a tool or or, or something like that. I would say, okay, you show up and and all of a sudden the tool itself isn't working, and you can't uh, you can't even get to the let's say the endpoints from the console or something like that. Sure. What are you going to do? You know, take me through, take me through the process a little bit, right? And take me through every step of it. Don't just, you know, don't just summarize. This is one of those times where I want you to actually tell me every step of the process, right? Or another could be, if I, if I want someone for, let's say, GRC, and I know that they're going to have a very outward, outward facing role with the business, right? Right? I may say something like, you know, you, you have a leader in another part of the organization and you have a, a v- you have, they, you have a very pointed conversation with them, right? And you can tell they're not happy, right? What are you going to do? Right. Right. And, and just, just having them sort of take me step by step through this, right? Uh, and really what I'm looking for is, Okay. Try to try to understand the problem. Try to quickly diagnose it. Try to take, you know, the most likely thing that could be wrong and, and mark that off your list first. Right? Kind of like when you're, you know, you always check a physical connection first, right? Or anytime a computer is not working, the first the first <laughs> thing you do, well, maybe not if it's a server, but yeah. But in general, you reboot it, right? You restart it, stuff like that. So, so really that thought process i find that no matter what the problem is if you know you use that those same principles every single time and so so i'm really looking for for people that can that that can articulate that and i, I also like it cuz it's not i mean everyone gets a you know what do, what do you do in a tough situation kind of question in an interview but 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 when you really make someone on the fly sort of break down how they would approach something it's a, good, it's a good indicator of not just problem solving, but how people think on their feet, things like that. Those are all really important things.
1: I'd, uh, if they didn't have much IT experience, I'd ask them, you know, how, how do you fix a, a leaky sink? That, what would you, how would you fix that? Or if you have a fire and you go to put it out and it reignites, what's likely your next step? It's just seeing if they can break apart a problem, even if they don't have an IT experience. But if they have a little more, I would also ask, you know, when you type a name into the browser, how does that work? Like, so you have a, you know, so before it's, it, you know, DNS cache, you know, resolution, you know, all these sorts of things, right? What, are, how much of that do they go into? Probably have others, but I've forgotten them. But those are, I like the problem solving piece and I like your list of, you know, you had curiosity for those sort of taking notes at all. And there's curiosity, you know, people that will ask why, problem solving, communication, and the economy of words. I love that. Uh, and then you had confidence as sort of the fourth one when we spoke. Yeah, which I think is a great, a great thing to remember. And that's something I've seen a lot of people, even in the way they they write. So back to communication and economy of words, you'll see notes that that say well we might want to or we might think or maybe we should and if you're if you're the one responsible for something you have to be polite but you should say you know on this date we will yeah like, we, there's no room and especially in megacorp and the big corporations we work on we need uh, sort of decisive friendly but decisive uh, messaging
0: yeah that's a that's a good one um, i i agree with that i think if we think about Let's just take an email for example. You want to be you want to be decisive. You don't want to seem like you're unsure of yourself even if you are. <laughs> yeah. And and the other thing is I get I get people that can write and that have have skills and are incredibly smart that lack the ability to they they don't understand how to really write an effective email. Right? They don't understand that they have so much detail. They feel like they've got to get it all out there. And right. So what they'll do is they'll write a four or five paragraph email. And at the very end, they'll, they'll, they'll put the headline. And that's, <laughs> that's completely backwards, right? You need to put the headline up front. Uh, you need to summarize in, in a couple of sentences uh, or one if you can. And then you need to put the detail after that if, if you think it's really important, right? So I do that a lot with executives. I... An executive sends something. I give them a very quick answer via email, and then I'll put details follow. And then that way, if they want to, if they want to get more information about it, they can. But they may not even need to read the rest of it, right? So, um, th- those are things that I, I I see a lot of people just need to need to think about how how they would like to be communicated to, right? I think most people mm-hmm. appreciate when they ask a question. A quick answer, a confident answer that doesn't take too long. So, answer and then give detail as opposed to give a bunch of detail and then
1: give the, the big answer. I always had a, uh, I always told folks, you get eight seconds with an email with me. It's like ride the bull, right? So, right, eight seconds, I ought to be able to glance at that email and figure out what it's about. Any more yeah. than that, I'm done. And so, there was that, and then a so what, now what. So, so what, what is this? So what, why do I care? And then now what, what are we going to do about it? Yeah. Sort of my, my really sort of central Indiana, you know, part hillbilly perspective on how we would do at least messaging what I expected to receive and what I expected, what I guarantee I would send out. Right. So you'll, you'll know uh, very quickly kind of what I'm about when I send a message. And that's kind of what I expected inbound and, and worked with my team on to kind of develop that. We're getting close to the end, but there's another thing, a couple things I want to cover ask of you. Um, you mentioned that there was, uh, in the theme of all what we're chatting about, that the 400-level class was on the ability to influence. You mentioned this earlier. Another thing you mentioned uh, in our earlier chat is that you should find a mentor who can do this. So influence uh, without title is sort of the idea, but influence in general, you mentioned the, the importance of that help educate me and the listeners on that. What, what is that? Why is it important? How do you do it? Yeah. You have to influence
0: every single day, all the time. You're influencing your peers who don't work for you. You're influencing people in other, other parts of the organization. So I think, I think it really comes down to trusting yourself and, 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 and confidence. If you're confident in yourself, it's easier to influence others. It's easier to, to take tense situations and, and, and get your point across anyway and, and get others to, to maybe see your way of thinking in a, in a non-abrasive way, right? So it's a critical thing. It's, I'm not sure how you learn to do it. I think, I think some of it Some people are naturally good at it, but I do find that the people that are really good at it naturally are confident people, and and so it's it's really about understanding what it is that you do very well, being prepared, right helps a lot. So if you go into a meeting and you haven't you haven't brushed up on the details or anything like that, you're not going to be as confident in your message, right, and and because of that, you may not be as effective at influencing. So it always helps to, to kind of do your homework and prepare a little bit, obviously. Also, you know, if you're, if you're struggling with that, find someone that you think is good at it and ask them for some help, right? And I think, look, everyone likes being asked for help. I mean, those kinds of things. When someone says, hey, I've noticed that you you understand this, or you know how to get results here? Can you help me a little bit? I'm happy to help. I'll 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 defer other things to to try to help someone in that capacity. I love it when people want to better themselves, and and so even if you don't have a quote unquote mentor, right, uh, or a you know someone someone that you always go to, there's no reason that you can't go to an individual for a particular thing and say, hey, I've noticed that you are really good at at the following. Influence could be one of those. Help me, right? Take me through the process. Why do you think you're good at it? What can I do
1: to be better? No question. I mean, how many times have you been in charge of a security project or seen others who were in charge of a similar project, maybe even a peer that they got the money, they got the justification, they got the budget, they bought the platform, whatever it is, and they need influence to get it deployed and it fails. Yeah, that's right. I see it all the time. And it's because we didn't prioritize maybe what you've spent the show kind of covering, uh, kind of giving your, your masterclass on is, is all this other important stuff that leads to security success. And, and I, that's one of the reasons why I enjoy the show. Uh, and and enjoy just having these types of chats because there really isn't a great centralized body of knowledge. Many of the topics we're chatting about, I think the security community struggles. And I, I really love the the sort of the natural perspective you've had on these. It just sort of is off the top of your head. I I were so for that. Thank you. Let me start in there. Thank you for sharing all of what you have today. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I really enjoyed being here. It's a It's a good conversation. I think, you know, I think I, as you were just given that, um, and I was, I was thinking about, you know, there, there really isn't a good place to learn some of this stuff. I mean, there are like these self-help books and things like that. And I'm not, I'm not making fun of them, but you know, people sometimes look at those and say, okay, maybe that's not for me, but it would be really nice if there was a, you know, an instruction manual somewhere, (laughs) right. that, That just in plain English said, you know, Try doing the following, or consider doing the following. If if your problem is this, then think about approaching it this way, right? So maybe maybe that's that's what we should team up on, and and we'll retire early is producing <laughs> that
1: that manual and then selling it. So you're, I know you're only half kidding there. I think that there's we struggle because we're a new we're a little bit of a newer profession and. Some of the people that have been elevated uh, were masters at technology, and maybe uh, were not as good at leadership, or or maybe you're trying to wear too many hats due to the size of their company or just the circumstance. But it is there's so many things that I've failed at as a leader that I had to learn the hard way, and I've seen other people fail at the same thing. And um, if you don't have these ingredients, how do I hire right? How do I evaluate talent? How do I lead? How do I influence? You're going to have a real short career, at least in leadership. So I appreciate that. And, and we are working on some things pursuant to that. But I'll also state that I have another couple pages of notes from our earlier conversation. We only got halfway through, man. But this has been fantastic. And I, I, I thank you for your time. And I've got one final question for you. We ask everyone, so pursuant to the name of the show, the new CISO, to you, what is being a new CISO mean. I think it's
0: understanding your business. I think it's leading and mentoring others, and I think it's uh, giving people the tools that they need to be successful, whether that's a career path or, or or coaching. That's really what it comes down to. And listen, this has been a great conversation. I, I feel like we we could have talked for another hour, but that, that <laughs> wouldn't make for a good podcast. But I definitely appreciate you having me, and it's been a it's been a fun
1: conversation. I'd like to I'd like to continue it sometime. Artie, you've been fantastic, and I will take you up on on that. I'm sure we'll have time to to continue uh, the stream of thought and um, and share with others to benefit the community. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, appreciate it. That's it for this episode of the New CISO. Thank you for listening. Check out more episodes on exabeam.com forward slash podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe to get brand new episodes first.